I mean he's an impersonator. A fake. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the following urgent announcement. You, yes you, put down that oversized bottle of scrumpy and listen here. Do you like being entertained? Do you like television? Well, do we have the show for you. Built for people who love TV, where three rapscallions dissect two television shows, one old and one not so old, for a probable audience of one. It's time for Hardly TV History. Hello and thanks for tuning in to Hardly TV History, the show where three idiots talk about two television shows for a probable audience of about 25, uh, <laughs> depending on the metrics of the day. Um, but uh, but thanks for joining us. I am, of course, Shannon, joined here by both Christian and Jake. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Howdy, folks. And uh, today we are talking about two shows linked by the thematic theme of hats and hat wearing. Um, I am, of course, talking about Deadwood and Yellowstone, two shows that are, are uh, they're, they're set obviously very differently time period wise, but sure, share a lot of thematic themes and, uh, and often uh, power struggles set around and uh, with weapons and horses, sometimes combining both of those for maximum shock value. Um, now, we'll start with... Deadwood, because Deadwood is, of course, the older of the two two series. Who's taking Deadwood? Who wants to talk I about? Get, I get the privilege of, of starting with Deadwood today. Yeah, you would. You, uh, you do Deadwood. I do Deadwood. So Deadwood is an HBO show. It was set in the late uh, 1800s about the real town of Deadwood, South Dakota, about how the town started and basically your fir- very first glimpse into the town and who's already there and who's setting up shop with all the wagons that are coming in is the basic premise of the first episode. Yeah. Now, Deadwood, I think I've been on record many times before to say that Deadwood is one of the finest television shows ever made. So <laughs> let's put that bias right on the table now. Um, it, it is a Western for people who don't like Westerns, is, is, is how I would really describe it. Uh, the, the setting is obviously important, but to me, um, you know, the, the cowboy Western stuff is not really at its heart of what it's trying to do. No, um, it is clearly a p- power struggle between a bunch of different people um, who all have different agendas um, in in a really quite lawless setting. Um, and the first episode sees us um, with uh, what would have been a U.S. marshal at the time um, giving up that life and kind of moving to Deadwood to sell chamber pots, which you know not quite as glamorous. Um, what, but, uh, what I love about Deadwood is you, is you get introduced to characters who are, are based pretty much around real people. And um, the, you're talking about Seth Bullock is the, is the sheriff that you're talking about and coming, coming to the county. And uh, it's a very weird choice becoming, going from a sheriff to a, a good salesman. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, so my take on the whole thing is it's an alternative look or a, and a really gritty take on a Wild West and it really shows the complicated life in a society on the frontier in a really lawless place. And the really interesting thing there is, as you say, with Seth Bullock, who's a marshal, he's obviously a very dedicated lawman because in that opening scene, we see him talking with a man who's a prisoner and who's condemned. And uh, basically a lawless lynch mob turns up wanting to grab the guy because he's stolen somebody's horse and they basically want to lynch him. And Seth says, I'm going to pass sentence and hangs him from the, the, the porch of the jailhouse 
rather than handing him over to the lynch mob at, you know, pretty high risk to himself. I think it's fair to say these guys are pretty drunk and they're pretty keen to, to get hold of the bad guy. But that just makes him sort of ooze decency and principles. And that kind of, that, that kind of thing is a, it, it sets a scene because then Seth Bullock goes to Deadwood and the, the series straight away cuts right across to you're in Deadwood, you start seeing life in the town and then you start seeing Calamity Jane and Wild Bill Hickok who are also historical characters as they're trying to make their way into Deadwood. So you kind of get this sense just from the, I suppose, the cinematography and the and the structure of the episode that Deadwood is a place to be. People are piling in every day. You see a big wagon train of, of people streaming down through the hills heading to the town. What I love about Deadwood is that you can also show that you're, there's, there's many different avenues to make money here. There's the storefronts. There's gold prospecting. Prospecting. Yep. Prospecting. That's the right word. Um, that'll do. That'll do. And, and there's, there's many ways to make a small fortune or quick fortune in Deadwood because there, there's no laws. You're basically starting fresh. The only person you have to answer to is um, Swearing. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's basically because yeah. he, he, he runs a saloon and presumably has quite a lot of a fair amount of wealth and probably access to a lot of guns or people with guns. And ladies. And and I think um, you know I know our audience breakdown largely um, most of those are inside of Hollywood types that are listening to us yep. for sort of cut through uh, and and tips. If anyone's listening that wants to know how to build a TV show in the first pilot episode, mm. th- this is it. E- every main character gets gets a platform with an introduction, whether it's five minutes or ten minutes or th- you know thirty seconds where you understand their motivations pretty quickly. That that scene, as you talked about, Christian, with Seth Bullock and his principal decision-making around, well, I could I could just give them to the lynch mob. They're going to do exactly what I'm going to do anyway, but they might do it in a way that's not appropriate and it's not appropriate for a lynch mob to, to yep. pass sentence. I'm going to do it uh, and I'm going to make sure this is done fairly um, and as humanely as possible in a fairly lawless mm. society. Um, respect as well. That, that is a tense scene. Like he he is one man, and he has his his offsider soul star who who helps him. Um, but mm. he's against a whole mob with weapons, and 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 they could take him down pretty mm. quickly if they wanted to. Um, he stands very firm. I'm actually not a big fan of Timothy Oliphant as a as a general <laughs> kind of actor and stuff. I've seen him in this. I like him. I really like his his stoic. His his wooden performance actually suits the character quite well. Um, but the, the introduction of Al Swergen, the, he oozes power and 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 manipulation. He's a yes. puppet master behind the scenes, and every major character that we see has a really thorough, well executed introduction, where you understand sort of everything about them. I left this first episode having not watched Deadwood for many many years, understanding those characters intrinsically and what the, what what motivates them. That that was the the masterclass in a pilot episode for me. Everyone got a little a little soliloquy, or they got a little, you know, a, a little uh, thirty seconds to just talk about yeah. what, what matters. And they're positioned really well, and they're all recognisable and iconic. So you instantly get a, 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 a visual recognition of elsewhere engineers looks like this. Seth Bullock looks like this. While Bill Hickok is got this big, you know 
outfit and he looks ostentatious and he, and you can tell him from a mile away. Same with Calamity Jane. And they immediately start displaying character traits that are going to follow him through the show. Like Calamity Jane has one of the foulest mouths on TV. I think you, I think it's pretty fair to say. And she's really like jarring when you see her in character because you're not expecting that in a period drama, are you? Like we're talking about the late 1800s and there's a whole heap of stuff that I want to talk about a bit later on about the role of women on the frontier and 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 how that the present the I suppose the presentation of them in this show is actually very different to what you might might kind of expect, but we'll, we'll probably come back to that a little bit later on. You, you kind of get the sense of power based on what they're wearing as well. I think the costume mm. department did an amazing job with everyone everyone's costume. You kind of can you could almost look at the costume and go, I know exactly who that is just based on what they're wearing. And I think that's really important. Like, as you said, Christian, you know, while Bill's wearing really fancy, nice clothes, everyone else is kind of in, in less clothes, but you kind of get the sense of who they are by what they're wearing. And like Al Swearingen's got you know, a nice suit on at times, but other times he's, he's wearing what you'd expect him to wear. And they, they, I, just, I just think it's, it's an amazing job of identifying characters just solely based on what they're wearing, which I haven't seen in too many TV shows. But I think the use of language is actually really powerful in that because we just talked about Calamity Jane's language. But I think it's probably fair, good for us to point out to the audience that they actually speak in a very different way than you'd normally expect in a TV show. I think it's almost kind of like what The Wire did with the way that language is used in the show. Um, they use what feels to be very authentic 1800s terminology and language. And even just the way that sentences are constructed is very foreign to us compared to how we speak sort of casually now. A lot of it is kind of this weird contrast or jumble of real formal real formal kind of sentence structure like you'd expect to read in an old book but then interspersed with a million and one fucks this fuck that you know all sorts of swear words and and uh, things that i'll try and avoid saying to avoid triggering various senses or <laughs> whatnot yeah and it's um it can probably be the reason why this is this is seen as a little bit um uninviting to to new to new viewers i think you know if you as soon as you say to say to someone this is a western you lose half the audience Mm. straight away and the moment that you listen to five or ten minutes of the dialogue in this it can seem really unaccessible to people who are not used to it and i think actually using swear words swear words we're accustomed to kind of makes it accessible again because if it was, I mean, I've called so many people hoopleheads <laughs> in my life because I, the Shakespearean swearing that comes out of Deadwood is something that I revel in. But it kind of makes it a little bit earthy mm. and grounded as well um, because it is, it, it's a hard watch, I think, if you're not ready for it. But it, it genuinely, you know, it sets up these characters. It wastes no time on characters that are not, crucial to the plot in the first episode you get glimpses of characters that become important later on but all doc really does yeah. is be a doc like he, he he needs to be there to to, to fill that point and and it's just a, a flex of swearigen's power to say don't mm. tell anyone about this and he effectively just goes along with it so everyone that is touched the gimp yeah. as they call her the, the hammer is there in the background doesn't really play into the plot the key people we need to know about in this plot are fleshed out to a point where we're pretty happy with with who they are as people um, and we kind of understand their motivations. That, to me, is is a plot that I, I think of any of the, of the um, opening pilots that we've seen, this is the one I would point people to if they want to plot a show out, an hour-long show, um, 
to really demonstrate what the yeah, characters are yeah. about. And something just sort of occurred to me as we're, as we're speaking, you're talking about, Jake, some of the costumes and, and some people looking very plain and sometimes they're wearing rags and they're run down and other people looking very fancy and whatnot. It kind of all, when you combine that with the language and the, the word I kind of associate with a lot of the um, the the use of language in the show is vulgarity and, and like you say, Shannon, down to earth and, and really kind of um, bringing, bringing, I suppose, that 1800 style language down to down to worth for us and making it more accessible and that that vulgarity is kind of on full display through the whole show because you see quite a bit of um nudity from from the women but it's not done in like a racy jaunty sexy kind of way it's kind of miserable and sad because they're showing people who are who are stuck in a life of prostitution and exploitation and you actually see some of that at, at, during the episode with Swearingen beating um beating up a prostitute who's shot a man who was beating her you know um and the story presented with his audience is that it's an unjustified beating and she's doing it in self-defense and that's quite shocking for us to see so that vulgarity is shocking and that is something that the show really leans into and plays heavily into which is kind of hbo shtick like that that is them 100 percent. and i don't think we mentioned that the that that was made by hbo so just shout out to that one really quickly yeah, Jake did in the intro, um, and and it and it shows it shows as an HBO show, and and Trixie, the prostitute in that, is probably the saddest arc you see through that, you know, this opening episode, um, and the sadness ending with her stripping and getting into bed with Al yep. after he beat her is really is that trajectory of a really quite sad uh, arc for her in this in this pilot episode and and you're absolutely right the vulgarity is on display they pull no punches with the violence the violence is really yeah. brutal and in your face and it's not stylized at all it's it's just white knuckle this is the the um the reality of living in this time frame in this town and most people the background characters will get drunk they'll pay for sex they leave you know, they do it again the next day. They will just come and go. It's it's the characters that we choose to focus on in this that have those real clear up and downs. And the first episode sets Al Swearingen's power base really strongly while also showing compassion. He's a character that, ostensibly, no. we should not like. But he's, A, quite charming, very manipulative and clearly getting what he wants and playing behind the scenes. Um, is brutal in in dishing out his brand of justice because he he is effectively yep. the law in Deadwood, whether there's a marshal or not. There's an also some sort of softness or compassion to him that you you see very briefly through the episode, and you know it's a shrug of the shoulders and that's just the way it, it needs to be. But he is he's clearly quite a man that's not to be crossed, and that's really clear in that first episode. I'll, I'll never get over, especially in, in westerns in this kind of show, is is how death is so blasé and it's just like well that guy died let's get the sleigh and they have a sleigh yeah. which really kind of really freaks me out a little bit like they're prepared for death at all times working in in that kind of work and it, it really it really never settles i think it's meant to unsettle you and i think what they did differently to shows like uh, game of thrones is the the nudie was kind of in game yeah. of thrones to draw you in where the nudie and, and you know vulgarity and, and violence in this show was really more to show you what it was like. It was being historically accurate and just setting the very dark yeah, tone that's of right. the show. It's not dark for the sake of getting eyeballs and, and, and titillating people and exciting them. It's, it's it's showing this really gritty, nasty side of the life, which is kind of similar to The Wire, really, when you think about it. Uh, it's it's exposing a, a, a 
a world that we wouldn't see. Well, we definitely don't see because it was it, it's set in the past. Um, but it, knowing that the show is built on around characters from history and, and Deadwood is a real place and these things really happened. Um, and, you know, we, we're in Australia and our colonial history stretches back to over the same time period. So you, you can imagine the same sorts of places and people and, and conversations and lives being lived, you know, in our, you know, in our local areas, around the places where we live. That's a really fascinating thing um for us in australia because we we come from a country that's very young compared to places in europe and even the united states which is you know many hundreds of years older than us yeah and, and we've become a quite conservative in a lot of a lot of ways society generally um and the way that nudity uh sex gambling all of these things that are really present in society in in, in fact really at the heart of of this settlement at this town uh, are openly discussed, paid for, you know, uh, reveled in. Um, and we've, we've, we've gone along, come a long way in circles in terms of being quite oppressed in terms of some of these, these situations that, that are, are just omnipresent in this and, and the people that run them, own them, have the yeah. power in the town, which is a fascinating look at how, how it started. It's all debaucherous. Um, and then law and governs come in and we all get a little bit more oppressed. And I also like how, you know, they talk about a person from New York and he's kind of, he's sipping his whiskey like he's, like he's soft and he's weak because he's from yeah. New York. I'm not sure if that maybe because he's the from dude, New York yeah. personality, but these, yeah, these, these guys are hardened, these guys are hardened, you know, frontier people who are, you know, creating a town. This New York fancy man comes through and, and uh, sips his whiskey. So it's kind of like they're looking down on the New Yorkers who are They certainly are. And that's another part of the aspect of the show. And, and it's similar to the next show we're going to talk about as well, which is this idealization of the frontier and this idealization of being away from the law and Ellsworth, who's one of the miners in the town is having a conversation with Ellsworth very early in the episode. And they're using this conversation as a way of doing exposition. And that's something I think they do really well in this show. Um, and they talk about the U S government um, claiming he's trespassing by being in Deadwood because they're on Indian land and Deadwood is built on Indian land. And they've, they're basically t- taking all the gold in, in territory that is according to various treaties and things belongs to the Indians. And there's an, uh, a preacher who, um, who actually looks after Seth Bullock's and Mr. Starr's hardware shop while they go about uh, after the sort of business is closed and checking out the, the town and seeing what it's like. And he talks about, um, he talks about history overtaking the the Indians and people coming in and and they're there for the gold and the fact there's gold there and resources that that, that the, the, these people want it's kind of makes the, the rules and the treaties irrelevant because people are going to go get this stuff anyway and so you kind of get this uh, this in, indication of how I suppose colonization and the, the concept of manifest destiny over in the United States kind of actually actually looked like in practice how it was performed and how how people actually engaged with it and, and what they did and that gave me a really good insight into the into like the australian world because the exact same thing would have been happening there were all sorts of laws and restrictions about where you could go and where you couldn't go and where you could settle um and so as an example like for for us um we're based in victoria in australia melbourne the capital city of our state i believe was settled by people illegally like they just jumped on a boat from tasmania and sailed over and set up camp and you know away they went like it wasn't authorised by the state or the government in any way. And you kind of get this vision of Melbourne, our capital city, could have been, looked very much like Deadwood early in the, in the day without all the gold. Hmm. Yeah. And that ever-present creep of government coming yes. for this town and with it 
comes regulation and those people who hold the power suddenly will, will have no power. All their power will be yes. taken from them. So there's this looming specter of the government just charging towards them that's still that's even there in the first episode, which is just masterful writing. Um, and you're so right about the exposition, you never feel like there's an exposition dump on you at all about any, anybody through this. This is just natural dialogue that sort of flows um, and is just well-crafted in terms of not making it feel like we're just getting a whole bunch of yeah, expositive. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and I think you also see the newspaper man, which is a, just a phenomenal character to include in the show full stop. Um, but to have him in the first episode basically getting it under his um, on the Terps and then talking about Manifest Destiny and, and the town coming and the US government is coming and it's gonna, they're going to, you know, legitimise all of our possessions and things. He's very much in favour of it. But then you've got people like um, Swearingen and Ellsworth who are very much like, no, we're here because we don't want the government anywhere near us. We want to be able to go make our own fortunes and run our own lives. Mm. So you've got, like you say, this inexorable hand of government pushing out and, and going to impact on these people's lives. And you've got all these people who want to live on the fringe Trying to trying to scurry out of the way and and live their lives as independently and, and rough and ready like uh, like frontier people as they can, really fascinating. Well, I think it shows that how how intelligent Swerogen is as well. That he's already set up shop. He's already, he got ahead of the curve and already built his place and his reputation and got his ladies working. And I'm pretty sure he probably went to he started other towns as well. And this is he's third or fourth stop. And he's just masterful of what he does. And he's figured out what he's doing and what he needs to do to survive and hire the right people and make sure these influencers known well across the town from day one. They, as soon as he walks in, you got to pay $20 or $20 a day to sell in, in a, uh, in the street. And that seemed like a very high price day. for, for, you know, the, well, yeah, late in 1800s. Yeah, and, the, and the fact that this town doesn't have a hardware shop, like someone's come along and decided that they're going to build a hardware town, a hardware shop in this uh, little town. And that's kind of a new and, and um, intriguing prospect for these people walking through. So, um, you know, they really are at the infancy of this. They, of course, have a brothel. Um, they also have a pig yep. pen to dispose of bodies, um, but they had no one thought about, you know, a chamber pot shop. So they they really are at the, at the very uh, early stages. Um, but Al has clearly made himself very ingrained into everyone there and nothing happens without Al knowing about it. He punches one of his goons um, for not bringing him information at the earliest possible convenience. Um, someone else's information that he, he didn't yeah. even, he only just heard about. So he's brutal, um, but he, he rules with an iron fist to, to make sure that he's, he's at the forefront mm. of everything that's going on. I'm talking about Al, masterfully played yes. by Ian McShane. Um, who you who you'd know from stuff? He's just he's in a lot of stuff. Probably best known, John Wick, arguably mm -hmm. as in the John Wick franchise. But he's he's been in Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, he's he's been in a heap of stuff. Um, but he is brilliant and powerful without being physically imposing. Like he doesn't. He's an older man who doesn't seem like he'd be that scary. But he is physically imposing. He he um, uses every scene incredibly well um as we said uh we've got uh, timothy oliphant who's been in a ton of stuff as well jake you'd know him best for uh die hard 4 yep 4.0 they're free or die hard bad guy yep just he's not the, not a good not the, best, no, the best, bad guy. best bad guy and there's a whole bunch of, of casts that you would have seen before you've got uh the principal from ferris bueller's day off as you said uh as the uh as the man running the the newspaper 
um, Jeffrey Jones, who um, don't look him up. He's had some issues, it's fair to say, old Jeffrey Jones. But an amazing cast, really talented, not massive names, um, but absolutely hold their own in terms of, um, of, of their characters and really, I think, take on those characters. Um, really, some cult actors, Brad Dourif, John Hawkes, there's... Just great names that run through this for people who love the genre. All character actors. They're not. There's no real big names. Like oh, Timothy Oliphant's probably the, and and Ian McShane's probably the biggest names. Other than that, you oh, really you do get some. You, you do get some later in the series, like because I've seen the show all the way through a couple of times, and um, you do get some some big names that sort of appear in there later on. But it was earlier in their careers, and I think I think they kind of used Deadwood as a bit of a launching pad to to take off. Um, yeah, and and my my mate who plays. Uh, E.B. Farnham, William Sanderson. I don't think there's been a better cast <laughs> dude in my life. He is the most punchable oh. worm of a character and he has yeah, played to perfection. He really so shout out to William, who's a big but, fan of this podcast, no doubt. And we've got, we got a Supernatural link from one of our early episodes. Uh, Jim Beaver was in Supernatural as well. Who played that? Uh, oh, really? There you Ellsworth. go. God, I, love it when, I love it when a plot comes together like this. This episode is working out fantastic. It, it is. Now, moving on to the next show it's more it than just hats as the as the connection it's yes. it's also horses. Yes. so i think it's also fair to say um, that it's geographically the same because uh the next show we're going to look at is yellowstone which is set in a, a ranch called yellowstone in montana which is where seth bullock comes from um from from across in deadwood and, yes. and he is actually journeying from montana across to across to deadwood so yellowstone is a series that has a lot of thematic links i think with deadwood in that it's about a family who are very wealthy run a they run a ranch they're very protective of their land and it's basically the story of the power struggle in the, in this valley around where the yellowstone ranch is between the the ranchers the landowners who are the duttons um with the the sort of the patriarch of the family being played by kevin costner um and the property developers who want to set up a um, a subdivision. You've got the casino, which is actually run by um, the local Indian tribe um, who are, are trying to, um, in the first episode, they're trying to steal cattle, basically. Um, and you also have a... There's actually another. There's actually another element in there. I'm trying to think of. There's a property. De- there's a there's a big property developer yeah, trying to the make subdivision one. Um, yeah. A whole bunch of yeah. Is it just the three happen. parties? Yeah. It's it's a bit of a complex episode. There's like a number of different character, number of different factions all fighting it. Basically, it's about a power struggle in a town on the frontier, which is very similar to Deadwood. Um, in, in terms of that thematic linkage, there's also that linkage across with the fact that it's geographically in a similar sort of place. You get a lot of the same kind of um, shots of the, the countryside and things. Um, and there's a whole heap of manipulation, drama, backstabbing that, that goes on. How does that sort of sound as like a quick two-minute summary? It's as good as it's going to get. Do you, Jake, do you want to have your crack first before? Because I'm actually up on a horse at the moment. It's my high <laughs> horse. So if you want to, you want to crack your first, I'm happy to go after you. And my first impressions. Yeah. Uh, well, this one was a. It was a long. It was a long pilot. It was 90 minutes long, which um, would put a few people off to start off with. Um, this show is interesting in the fact that they, they introduce a lot of plot elements very, very quickly, and I was I found myself quite lost early on trying to figure out what the hell was going on who was because the, the problem with this show is that everyone kind of looks the same and they're all wearing similar clothes and they all kind of talk the same and there's no distinct characters early on until you get into about the 15 minute mark 
which I think is, is a bit of a struggle for this show to get off the ground. I think launching into a pilot, this mm. isn't the way to do it. Yeah. Just because they throw so much information at you so quickly, and I honestly wasn't ready for a big dump of information. I wasn't ready for a big pile of uh, of uh, exposition and who's doing what and needing a notepad to write down who was doing yep. what like Game of Thrones. Um, so I was a bit lost early on, but... Um, yeah, it, it is. It is yeah. an interesting. I show. think you've hit the nail on the head yeah. there because it is a ninety-minute pilot, and it's as if somebody said to the the, the showrunner or the, the writer, "Hey, we're going to give you a ninety-minute pilot. Put it, put tons of stuff in there," and he's just gone and jammed in as much as he well, he or she has put in as much stuff as they possibly could, jam into that episode with the the consequence of you don't really know who the characters are. I actually had to look up their names like on Wikipedia to try and keep track of who everybody was, um, and so in that regard, it's kind of like the opposite of of Deadwood in that the the pilot episode has a lot of, a lot more time but they just don't do enough with it to actually embed the stories. I feel like they could have pulled a bunch of those plot points out or they could have actually just made the episode shorter. Like you could have knocked off half an hour, got rid of a bunch of the excess plot stuff and put that into a second episode and it probably would have been um much better in in my sort of view as two 45 minute episodes rather than one hour and a half. I mean let's just address the elephant in the room or the giant steaming turd of elephant dung to sitting in the middle of the room. That's Kevin Costner. He is the mortal enemy of the show. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, I, I, I hate Kevin Costner with a passion. Yeah. He's, mortal enemy, Don't he's, he's, our mortal, he's my mortal enemy and I'll, uh, I'll fight him anytime. And you might win as long as you're not on the so, water. Well, that's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, Superman's dad, I think I can take him. Now, um, you, you guys are absolutely have hit the nail on the head. This is a the, probably the most meandering, less focused storyline I've, I've seen there are movies that introduce characters and do so much more in 90 minutes than this this ever has the, the characters there, there is so many characters to try and unpack there are plot lines crossing plot lines crossing plot lines that that i cannot work out and i watched it today and i still can't make rhyme or reason of exactly what was going on and who's who's important there's one scene where kevin costner they're, they're trying to set up so much the scene i'm thinking of is when kevin costner is sitting yep. at a auction yes his son wes bentley is there wes bentley is the bloke who really really likes plastic <laughs> bags in american beauty yes. um he he is in the background and we know he's a lawyer because mm-hmm. we've seen him in a previous scene um and the governor so yeah, of the town, the female is the there. She literally sits down, says three three words to Kevin Costner, and then wanders off again. Not a great meeting. Flirtatious yep. arm pull. You know they've got to have lunch again. Clearly they're banging. So much is happening in that scene that's not resolved. That doesn't come back to. It's like, but then I, he's, I get. But then he sits down with a with a criminal, and I'm saying that in quote marks. He's sitting with a criminal, saying, "I don't, I don't need a criminal. I just want." Yeah, there's so much count- how he's a criminal. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much- yeah, there's so many things they're trying to throw at you all at once, and that it, it really suffers from t- too many characters and too much going on. And I, I feel really, I'm not racist because I'm white, but there's so many white yeah. guys in cowboy hats that I, with beards yep. that I have yep. no idea what's going on. And, yeah, and it's just like I don't know. Are you are you a Dutton? Are you a are you a Wheeler? I don't know who you are. Like, what are you so, doing? Just talking about the Dutton family, we have. Kevin oh, Elephant Costner as as the main yes. as the main Patriarch. guy. John is Dutton. it John? That's John right. Dutton. John Patriarch. John Dutton. Yep. And and so then we have his younger son, who's he's had clearly had a fracture with Casey. Yes, so that's Casey. who's also a military. Yep. He's got a military background because we see him talking to someone. Well, we we don't know why 
we don't know why there's an issue. There's just an issue and that we're just going to have to deal yep. with that later that the family hasn't seen. There's the lawyer, Wes Bentley. There's sexually daughter. aggressive... Yep, named Beth. Daughter? Yes. Who is... Beth, she's a, yeah, works for a bank, I think, is like a finance type type person, but she's like really into bank? doing corporate espionage yep. and, yeah, does not like horses, horses, but loves the yeah, family. Horses. Very keen. Yeah. Who who is the guy that she banged in the? Ah, so he I is, don't know. So he, he is actually works. <laughs> yeah. He's like a long time worker on the the Dutton Ranch. He's quite senior in like the you know running the crew, and he's he's okay. the one who takes um, the criminals deadbeat son or nephew or whatever he is up into the mountains to with the dynamite to divert the course of the river. See that whole plot line, you could have just pulled that out and had that in a different episode, like second episode by itself would have been great. It would have, it would have made much more sense. And uh, no, no offense to, to Kelly Riley, her acting in that first scene where she's yeah. meant to be a badass was to me woeful. Like, it was awful. It, it was, it would, it stank of someone trying really mm. hard to be aggressive yeah, when she just can't pull it off. Like the way she was looking like she wanted to eat them rather than, you know, make what, them fear them. Well, can I, can I ask another question? Why are we uh, branding people? Well, that is actually is that like a – it's obviously like an, uh, a holdover from back in the old days. You would be branded with like the mark of, your, of the ranch. Like that's what they do to cattle. Like you belong to the Yellowstone Ranch and that's what they're doing with the people. So question is he they tracked down a criminal to – bring him into the fold and branded him. And the guy who was branding him was also brought in by... He, he was the son. He's one of the sons. Is he one of the sons? He's one of the sons. The guy who brands... Was he? Was well, he, he was one, one of the sons, right? He's no. the one that is gets he? shot? Is that the one? No, no, no. But this is the whole point of the show. No. Like, we can't tell. We can't no. <laughs> This is the problem. No, he's a different guy. But then, then at the end of the episode, you see that Casey has a brand as well. Does that mean that he was no, a criminal no. and brought into the family, all, or was it all all of them have the brand bring- because they all belong to the Yellowstone Ranch? So, but but John's down with that. He 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 talks. John exposes Kevin Costner. No. Costner's up all over the place and talks about we do things the right way. Yada yada. That's the old school. But he's yeah, down with the brand because because he's it, okay it, with it's that? his ranch. Like to them, to him, the ranch is actually more. Is, it's bigger than the people involved, and the, the the brand is actually a symbol of your authority, or like your allegiance to the ranch and the family. But but I write my name on the back of my shirt so that yep. I don't get them mixed up, like in Sharpie. I don't brand my skin yep. because you're not dedicated like, enough, Shannon. You can yeah. you can brand stuff. You so can brand stuff. Don't brand people. In regards to Kevin Costner, now he is elected to do something. Is that the the, the cattle livestock association? The That's right. Okay, so he has yes. some sort of power on his land yes. of his cattle, correct? So it is my understanding that he owns a Tons very of large land. lot of land, and and the Indian land across Wire across fence. that little yeah. line of fence is is the reservation land, and then anything that goes from there to there equals that's right. And so that's why exchange. you saw the Indian oh, people have their own tribal police, and they got their own tribal police cars. And basically, if the cattle move across the border, they become the property of whoever's land they're on. And, so, and is there also sorry, Jack? But there, there's also the cow livestock cops. agents, which that, Kevin Costner has been elected to, which is another interesting thing because you've effectively it's demonstrating this idea of regulatory capture, which is the idea that government agencies and government bodies get taken over by the people they're actually supposed to be policing because 
why the hell should somebody be a li- like be a head of the livestock agency um, in charge of enforcing the, the laws around livestock and cattle movements and things like that when you're actually a giant rancher yourself? Like, isn't that an obvious conflict of interest? And it is, which is what we see sort of play out during yeah. the episode with... Also, the reservation have correct. their own police force, correct? Hmm. So they... they so yes. is that still Montana? But it's it's tribal land inside because... And this is, this is kind of like the flip side, like the... This is dead. All the stuff in Deadwood where they're talking about the treaties and all that kind of jazz. Fast forwarded, you know, 150 years or whatever it is, and these are the problems that they're dealing with because you've got tribal land which is kind of sovereign but kind of not, um, and there's different jurisdictions over things, and there's all these different questions about, you know, effectively it's like native title. If you're in a, in the Australian context, you kind of understand that 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 phrase. But basically, it's the, the indigenous peoples having sovereignty over their, their own land or their own territory. So in this case here, there's an Indian reservation where effectively the Indian rules and laws and things apply um, and the Livestock Authority don't have the authority to just go over the border, pick up cattle that have wandered over and bring them back. They effectively in practice belong to the, the Indian tribe. Even though they're branded with that, the... And that's why the uh, Duttons end up organising the raid to go over and try and flush the, all the cattle back across the the line because they're obviously the they they're their cattle the indians uh, it, it's kind of implied in the in the episode that the the indian tribe removed the fences and then induced the cattle to come over the over the border and you know they're planning on keeping them and you kind of get the sense that thomas rainwater who's the sort of the newly elected indian chief has kind of orchestrated this showdown because he wants there to be a fight and he wants there to be violence and bloodshed because you see him talking to the governor or the state senator or whoever it is later in the episode saying we knew this was going to happen and we need you to be in our corner and it's all set up for a big political divide yeah he gives a james bond-esque villain sort of looking out over the casino floor about taking their money back and oh man and and there's another elected official that i don't know how she fits in she's just there is that juliana margulies Yes. So there's a governor and there's a yep, senator all in right. the same episode. They look exactly they look the same. same. Yep. They, yep. exactly the same. they didn't make them distinctive at no, all. That's right. exactly so the it, same it is person. very complicated, and that's where this episode falls over. It, it's, there's so much going on. There's so many complications, and I just feel like if they'd taken more time with it, it would be much easier to follow. You could have gotten embedded with the characters a little bit more because through the episode, we've, and we've talked about the raid that goes on and this and – this, um, the the Dutton's trying to steal back the cattle that have been stolen from them from by the the um, Indian tribe. During that raid, things go pear shaped. Gunshots start being exchanged, and one of Dutton's sons, um, his name is Lee. He's a he's a rancher, sort of runs the ranch and the farm, is actually killed. Um, an element we haven't talked about is the fact that Casey, the youngest son, who's the guy with the military background, is actually shacked up is 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 with a, um, a Indian lady. Obviously, the, the 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 falling out with his family, he's sort of left them, and he's now living with on the Indian reservation with her and and their son. So he's kind of torn between worlds. We see a really interesting scene between him and um, an older Indian man who um, is like I think it's the grandfather or something of his his wife. He says. It's all going to get bloody here. People, men have to go stand with their people, and you're not our people. So he kind of tells him to pack up and go back to the Dutton Ranch. And um, anyway, we see uh, he effectively avenges his brother's death by killing the man who shot him, which happens to be his wife's brother. So you can see all this complicated Shakespearean esque sort of tragedy kind of building up and being being foreshadowed. But only if you can follow the episode, which is very difficult to do. They also said 
We've got a helicopter for about 36 hours. I want you to film every single yes. scene possible with a helicopter <laughs> because they, they, they go crazy with his helicopter. And he doesn't travel anywhere yeah. other than by horse or helicopter. The guy, the guy must waste fuel like no man's land. It, it, is, it is a massive parcel of land. The government's also trying to acquire and having a, a fight in some sort of judicial panel hearing where the governor has this yeah, final say, imminent, even though that's why is the panel there? Domain, she so the idea is the government is taking the land because it's, need, it's needed by the state or needed for, for progress, um, for housing. For housing, and, yeah. and it's, not, it's not an emergency or it's not an acquirable situation, so it's, not, it's a public, yeah, that's right, that's the a public need. But that's the governor making that call. They, yeah. Correct. But she's clearly in the pocket. And she's clearly in the pocket of him because yeah. of the sexy arm touch. So but honestly, the worst possible way to start a pilot is with old men or, or, or courtroom right. people talking. Like it's the worst way to start a pilot. I'd, I'd argue that the worst way to start a pilot is with <laughs> cattle rustling. No one cares about cattle rustling and eminent domain. Like it's that's its problem. Is it's painfully no, boring. It's not and painfully complex. boring. I mean, I found it interesting. I, I think I think the the amount that Dutton really is protective of his land is fascinating and he's representing like this old established solid interests which if you think back to deadwood he's the descendant of the people who came out there in the 1800s and you know set up the ranch and forged it and they were frontier people wanting to get away from the government he's now like head of the livestock agency and he's protecting the of all the land that he's got and he's talking to his son about buying and selling the someone's talking about maybe selling the land for a certain price um and you have really good leverage because they really want it and Costner's or Dutton says, real leverage is knowing that if someone had all the money in the world, that this is what they'd buy. So he knows the value of the land. He's very keen to protect it. And he talks to a developer, tells him he's an asshole because every time a person moves into the town, it's forcing somebody he knows and he's worked with for a very long time out. So he's very invested in protecting the status quo. And I just thought that was the the the, the juxtaposition between him being a, I suppose, stick in the mud conservative guy trying to pr- protect everything he has versus the developers who we typically see as in, in media being portrayed as greedy, evil people, which, you know, they, they sort of are portrayed in this show as being the same way. But really they're talking about building houses and people who want to go and live there and, and experience what life is, in Montana is like. Um, and you see a great scene of the developer talking to a, a banker who's asking, is all this development legal? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you really dam a river just like without any any permits or any rules? And he says, this isn't California, it's Montana. If the river's on your land, it's your river. You can do what you like. And then you see later in the episode, mm-hmm. Dutton displays that by just going further up the river where he owns the land, dynamiting the side of a hill and diverting the river away from the development. And that's presumably perfectly legal because he went and did it. And I think that's very, it's very interesting to follow. The problem is that it's Correct. getting muddled up with so much, with yep. recent cattle rustling. And it's almost like, can all these bad things happen to one person in yeah. the space of a few days? Like this guy's got so much on his hands for a, a small town, not a small town, mm-hmm. he owns a ranch and there's so many problems going on at once that they're just it just wouldn't happen that way. And that's where I think that's where it loses... Some real, real uh, some real life problems with me, and I, I just, I really wish they'd focus on one thing at a time. And I think it would have been better as yep. forty five minute episodes, blocking into two parts. Make one about the cattle, one about the cattle, one about the land development, and then somehow weave the crazy sex daughter into it. Because I was, I was yeah. so lost at the very thought of it. I thought this guy, this guy, this banker man's way more important than than she is. But then suddenly she was meant to be the focal point. They really lost the the direction. That of- whole scene was to set her up as a badass. Like yeah. that was that was the whole point of that scene, which is done with one or two lines of dialogue and a, and a weathering look in in Deadwood. And so, 
that there's too many kids and they <laughs> luckily kill one off at the end just so that yeah, make it a little bit easier for everyone to work out what the hell's going on. But you could have done that at the start. That would have been nice if you'd moved that to start so I, I didn't have to learn people's yeah. names, which I still didn't and, and don't really care to. Yeah, I, look, it, it, is, it is an absolute mess of a pilot in terms of what it does. I think, I think its problem is it's boring. Um, and I'm, I'm quite interested in those topics except for cattle rustling, mm. which I couldn't give two shits about. <laughs> but the, the, the land disputes is something that's in, in, interesting, the power struggle between you need to give characters that we care about to do power struggles. And I just didn't really give it. I just didn't care about any of the characters and what yeah. their motivations were. To me, they were just greedy, greedy people being yeah. more greedy regardless without any kind of complexity. They tried to build some complexity around him mm-hmm. being kind of a shitty father or a hard father. And, and the, and the intrigue around why this, why Casey would been, had taken himself out of the family and whatever else. But, I think all of that was unearned and it just didn't really – the son dying meant nothing yeah. to me as the audience member. On that topic, like I think if they maybe had – maybe one of the property developers was someone who was actually uh, relatable or, or the audience engaged with him in a positive way and saw him in a good light. Like if you had a mission, like I want to, I want to house people in a sustainable way and we want to do this, you could have then asked the question, who benefits from conservation, who benefits from progress? And like that would have been a really interesting sort of moral question for the show to, to ask and explore. Um the other really interesting dynamic I thought was the Indian chief. He has a really good exchange with Dutton about um, they've gotten some buffalo in and they've got this old Indian guy got riding out on his horse to shoot one and it's like some kind of cult. It looks like a kind of cultural sort of traditional um, ceremony type thing. Yeah. But Thomas Rainwater is talking to Dutton and says, you let this old man ride his lame horse towards your half-tamed cattle so he can pretend to be what we were a century ago. It's humiliating. So this idea of Indian identity and where do we belong now and what do we, where do we fit in society and like they've got this whole history of, of oppression and, and marginalization that you could explore so there's actually really powerful themes that it, the show explores which you know link back to deadwood pretty nicely in a lot of ways um but as you say the muddled episode makes it very difficult for that and it's gone on for four seasons so i presume it must get better it must be engaging enough to, to keep people engaged and, and want to keep watching and i note there's actually a couple of prequels one of which is actually called yellowstone 1883 which is right smack bang in the time when Deadwood is. I just think that you were very, you smacked the nail on the head that the guys who are developing it, just, they just seem like another version of mm. Kevin Costner's character. It's just a different different vision. I think you're very right. If you made him a, a more likable character or gave him better motivation, like wanting mm. to help the people and it's not all about greed and I'm an asshole too, but look how good I am. I, th- I think if you took away, if it's made it more of a humanitarian mission and then Kevin Costner was kind of yes. fighting back for no reason, might be a little, little bit more of a bit more of a power yeah. you could get behind. So I'm, I'm not sure yes. who to be rooting for here. Yeah. I'm not uh, sure what, which, which. Yeah, obviously, I think I think Casey's the person you really want to be rooting he's, for. He's the he's family guy who's actually not really into the family because the family's kind of not nice. Yeah, but yeah. he still murdered someone. So and I think yeah, I think you missed the trick with the Wes Bentley character. He is so smarmy as a lawyer, clearly just doing his dad's bidding. If he was the dissenting voice constantly saying you're old school we need to do things new and, and we need to you know be on the on the on the up and up that's a more interesting dynamic than just everyone's just placating john dutton um every government official is is trying to be smarmy even when they're trying to win that case and saying we need this land we'll let you log it you can just you can just level it yeah. we don't care we'll let you do that um 
no no one's on the up and up. There's literally not a, not someone to root for at all. And Casey, he's supposed to be that. Don't care. He did nothing for me as a character yeah, at all. Yeah, and that's really interesting. That dynamic makes me think of another show called Succession, which I hope we'll cover on the show at some point, um, which I really enjoy, but it's full of this This family is very powerful, but they're all actual assholes in the end of the day, you know, even though the show follows them. And, and Yellowstone kind of gives you the impression you're supposed to be on board with the Dutton family, and you get like, the Yellowstone logo appearing everywhere, and they're getting it branded on their skin. It, you kind of get the sense you're supposed to be rooting for them and, and kind of jumping on board with them, kind of like when in Sons of Anarchy you were kind of jumping on board with you know, the gang, even though they're actually horrible people, but you, you feel attracted and attached to them as, as investing in them as characters. I love that you brought up um, Sons of Anarchy then because I feel like that, that Casey, the Luke Grimes, I've seen this character before. I've seen him so many times before. He's the, he's, the, he's the bad guy who's trying to be good or he's the good guy who's trying to be bad. And I just, I didn't connect with it because I've seen it time and time again. There's nothing original here that's grabbing me that's not, that I haven't seen a thousand times before. I felt yeah, very sentimentalized from this. The problem, the problem here is that anti-heroes are, are the new heroes. They are. There are so many shows that are built around watching bad guys do bad things. Right. The the difference is that a lot of those people are super charming and engaging, and and you want to follow them through. Walter White, Tony mm-hmm. Soprano, these are guys that you are watching being just epivescent being they they command the the screen if that's supposed to be kevin costner he's just doing his <laughs> kevin costner gruff stick he's not doing anything that makes his, him charming or relatable he's just there and being super rich in contrast to the other show we're doing right now how engaging is al swearingen he's a bad person we saw yep. all shades of al swearingen but i just want to see more of him just put him on screen and I will watch him. Game of Thrones is yep. full of those types of people. It's full of people who you know they're bad people, but boy, do you want to watch them and follow that through. But also Game of Thrones gave us our superhero mm. in Ned. Like it gave us Ned Stark, who was clearly our moral compass through this whole thing. And then there's a bunch of mm. shitheads either side of him. One thing um, I found really interesting was the portrayal of women in the two shows because the only women you really see in, in Yellowstone are Beth, who's the daughter who's you know, supposed to be a hard-ass, but is also like sleeps with people to you know, get the information that for the family, all that kind of stuff. So just uses her, uses her sexuality to, to progress um, the interests of the family. Whereas in Deadwood, we see a lot of female characters and really interestingly, a lot of them play outside the realm of what you would normally sort of expect. Like you've got Calamity Jane, who is a woman living in a man's world, but living, you know, as a man, effectively. She, you know, she's a gun shooter and rides horses and, you know, pretty rough and tumble, swears like a Trojan. And it's insane. You've got the group of prostitutes who are very oppressed and, and, and in that group there's Trixie, who is actually fighting back and looks like she's trying to she's got more gumption and a bit more self-reliance because she's gets beaten by L, but then immediately goes and asks the gimp to go buy her another gun. The gimp is a fascinating character because she's a woman, but she's also disabled. And you see her actually making a living in, in, in the, in the, in the saloon. She's getting treated pretty roughly, but at least she, she's there and she's actually got a speaking roles in the show. Like you, you see her wandering around the place. Um, and then you have Elma Garrett, who is the New York guy's wife in the first episode. You don't really see her too much, but she comes, She's, she's sort of foreshadowed as having a bigger role in the show and you see her having a drug problem because she's using laudanum, which is like a mm. variant of opium that you dissolve in water and you, you drink it and you know, um, get rid of your migraines or whatever. 
Yeah, they're, they're complex characters and they're clearly going to have a larger arc where it seems to be she's this the character that we get exposed to really there's two female characters and then our two female mm. politicians who are one of them is clearly just corrupt and at the doing the bidding of one of the main characters and that's her whole thing and you know gets a bit touchy sleevey with a touchy feely yep. with Costner's sleeve and then and then the rest Juliana Margulies's character I think it's Juliana Margulies isn't it yep. um she she's just kind of there to do the Native American bidding, like I, she, she's just, she doesn't do much other than just kind of wholly and solely yeah. accept whatever the hell they want. And then you've got pining Native American Indian wife of Casey, um, who doesn't do much other yeah. than kind of pine, and then and 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 then get do a do a half naked scene on a on the bed, and uh, and then you know we've got someone being effectively mm. being slut shamed like I. I I think you're right. And I think the difference is in Deadwood, the female characters are individuals. They've got their own motivations. They've got their own backstories there and they've got their own, they're going places in the story. In Yellowstone, they're pretty much just their ancillary to the men. They're there for a purpose, whether that's for, for sex or corruption or whatever it happens to be. Um, and it, it might get better early, later on in the series in Yellowstone. It, they might have more parts to play and, and bigger parts to play and more power, but we, we don't see that in the opening episode. And you can, right away in Deadwood that they're going to be bigger parts and they're going to re- respect and treat the women differently. You know, the way they, the way they yeah, should be shown. Yeah, and I thought that was great. an interesting reflection given the fact that Deadwood came out in 2004 and Yellowstone came out in 2018 and Deadwood set in a time period when women were very much marginalised. So I think that just kind of highlights the genius of Deadwood really as a as a pilot episode and also as a, as, as a TV show um, compared to something that came out, came out much later. Uh, I see you nodding, Shannon. Yeah, yeah, just because I like Deadwood, I'm, I'm just, I'm just totally on Deadwood. But I also think that yeah, you know, HBO versus whatever Paramount. produced Yellowstone, um, <clears throat> and the, the writing and production value. I mean, Yellowstone looks, it looks pretty. It, it looks really good. In fact, yeah. that opening scene with the car crash looks phenomenal. Like that, that struggling horse in in the in the in the crushed truck looks really, really good. Um, there's a lot of a lot of great, really pretty scenery. Whereas Deadwood. The, the budget or the lack of budget really for Deadwood shows, it's it's shot in a couple of interiors and that's kind of it and it's dark when it, when they do go outside um, and, and it it clearly is the lesser in the in budget-wise of the two shows but it's it's a power struggle between people. It doesn't need big sweeping yeah. location settings to do that and I think that's what it does more. It focuses on that than... There's a whole lot of establishing shots. You cut that and all the helicopter shots, yep. and you're down to an hour, I reckon. Yep. On yep. on Yellowstone, yep. and you really didn't need the scenes. You could have divvied up, as I said, the scenes with the Dynamite River and even like the fishing stuff. You know, they, that was really just there for a vehicle to show that you know, the family all getting together, and then the guys in the boats wandering past, and then treating and then talking about them as transplants and all that kind of jazz. Like you could have done away with all of that very easily. Yeah, it didn't need to be there. Calling the kid, yep. the guy a fucker. Yeah. Like. Yeah, that was odd. Yeah, that, there's some odd stuff in there. I think if you cut some of those scenes, you'd be you'd be much better for it. Which now I think I think the answer is clear and obvious. But we'll <laughs> we'll do. We missed it last last episode, so we're going to do it this yep. episode. It's on the run sheet. Um, if you were picking one, I want to go last because I think I know what you guys are going to say. So Jake, do you want to jump in first? It's really tough for me to say anything other than I'm, I'm like Shana. I it took me a long time to see Deadwood. And uh, I'm really sad that it took me so long to actually watch it. But Deb was one of the finest TV shows <laughs> ever made, in my opinion. 
And I, I, I hate that it's against something that's so that I, I, I don't I don't want to sound like I, I really hate Yellowstone because Deb I found Deadwood so much more superior. But the fact is, Deadwood is far more superior than Yellowstone in every possible way. From from the acting, from the the scenery choices, the story. Yeah, uh, Deadwood is a tight hour pilot that couldn't be done any better, and Yellowstone has many, many faults. Mm. So I'm going with Deadwood. Well, I'll go on the record. Ooh. I hate Yellowstone. Um, <laughs> hate me uh, No, I, I think it, in terms of a pilot episode, and that's all we're here to judge, it, it absolutely and categorically fails as a pilot episode. Um, I think it's pretty. I think it probably has some capacity to get better, but as a pilot episode, it is bloated. It is boring. And it needs to be. It, it needs an, a, a strong editor to cut the living daylights out of it, um, and they need to replace Kevin. Costner. I was waiting for that. I was thinking that was the last thing you're going to say. Yes, because because unless the, you know there's water all around and he's the last man with gills or whatever, I don't need to hear from you, I, Kevin Costner. You go back to the postman, you deliver your mail, and you stay off my TV. I will say that Kevin Costner wasn't was fine. that bad. He wasn't the worst. Part. He was fine, and that's the that's the ultimate compliment I can give him. He was. Fine. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. Deadwood is the greatest show, one yeah. of the greatest shows that's ever been made, um, and it's it is an absolute incredible exponent of the pilot episode. Um, I don't, as you said, Jake, could not have done anything better. There's not a wasted scene. Um, everything is dripping with context and subtlety, and um, it is it is a gorgeous looking, well acted, crafted perfection I, I there's nothing i can say more strongly and we've done the sopranos and i still think sopranos is a better show this is a better yeah. pilot episode than well the I, i'm not going to disagree with anything you said about deadwood because I, I also agree i think deadwood is sensational and i've watched it many times and I, I love it and i was so excited when the movie came out to kind of wrap the storyline up which I, I also thought was really really good so if you boys haven't watched that you've you got rocks in your head um yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> but I think you're being a bit seven. harsh about um, <laughs> Yellowstone. Yeah, the pilot episode is bloated, but I think there's enough there and there's enough like depth in, in the storyline and enough like interesting sorts of themes that they're trying to explore that I'm going to give it another couple of episodes to, to just see how it sort of pans out. I figure it's been it's got at least four seasons, so it, it must be doing something right. Maybe it gets tighter. Maybe they change some actors over. Maybe they kill off a bunch of them, you know, in an early gunfight somewhere, and it becomes a bit more manageable. Um, I don't know, but um, I'm going to give it more of a a bit more of a razz. Uh, but if you're a fan of Yellowstone and you haven't watched Deadwood. I envy you because you are going to have the best time when you go back and rewatch, or, or when you pick up Deadwood for the first time. Um, I think that I think that it is a sensational television show that we don't see, and we don't see its like enough. I think that's the ultimate compliment: is that if you're jealous of someone to go back and watch it for the very first time, I think that's the ultimate compliment you can give on any kind of TV show or movie. That uh, like I. I, I think it's it's just so such a well said statement that you you're lucky to watch it for the first time and and Deadwood's one of those shows that are very rare to t- that it takes your breath away from and the, it's from deep the moment too in it that you can rewatch it multiple times and you'll pick up new stuff as you go along and one of my bits of advice for Deadwood and, and also shows like The Wire and also The Sopranos is to watch it with subtitles on so you fully get to see all the text and and, yes. and all all the all the conversation that's happening and you can if there's terminology in there you don't understand you can quickly google it and figure it out and i'll admit i did that on the wire a lot um but then once you learn it you kind of get more immersed in the world and it gets better and better so yeah i think um i think you're right jake it it, it is it is something pretty special if you can come into into a new show that is 
phenomenal and you haven't seen it before, you know, by because you've been living on a rock out in Easter Island or something. Um, you know, it's 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 a great thing, and uh, I look forward to if you're if you're a listener and you um and you actually watch Deadwood for the first time or one of the shows that we recommend. Drop us a line. Tell us what it was like. Tell us which one you enjoyed. Tell us your favourite parts, what themes you really enjoyed. And if you've got any suggestions, you know, be sure to hit us up and let us know from some other shows that we can check out. And maybe we can be the ones who get to be really excited and privileged to watch a show for the first time um, that is actually sensational. Well, I think that's it. And, of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, Cowboy Cowboy Bob's <laughs> Funeral Hats. They're like an umbrella for your Great head. Great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much for listening. I just wanted to say Christian, one of my favourite thoughts? lines from Deadwood, which was, was that you or me, Montana? Uh, calling someone Montana and, and while Bill Hickok, oh, what a character he is. Right. So, so good. Uh, watch Deadwood. Why don't really <laughs> listen to this crap for? Go and watch Deadwood now. Thank you very much for, for listening. As usual, you can hit us up on all the usual spots, Hardly TV History on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, on Instagram. Facebook, Instagram, you know, MySpace, whatever. Oh, MySpace, where, only where, where you find us? <laughs> and what a knob that guy is. Just wants to be friends with everyone. So thank you very much for listening, um, and uh, yeah. You've said it enough. Okay, they get the idea. All right, you ready to call the outro? Yep, talent's here, let's go. All right, you want to warm up or anything first? No, I'm no. good. <clears throat> okay, hit me. Now remember, no cliches, funny, light, it's a podcast. Go. In a world. Always do this. It's the first one. But that's, that's It's what, the most obvious but one. But that's what good trailers No, no, just no. On the edge of space. Shand. bedroom, house, podcast, us, go. Jurassic Park meets Twilight. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. We're a podcast. But We're not a movie. Dun, dun, dun. We podcast. Us talking about movies. Is it just, just no, no? Just go. Is it because the no, gen- the T Rex no. has little arms and couldn't stab him in the chest with a stake? Go. A rooster and a cat are friends. Shen. I know you're a cock, but this. Careful. Come on. Movies, podcasts, it's us talking about them. Go. Two idiots have a podcast. They talk about movies and nonsense. If you'd like to join in that conversation, you can hit them up on masspodcasters at gmail.com or talk to them on Facebook. That's so hard? Yeah, my voice hurts a little. I've got a tickle and I actually think Jurassic Park and Twilight as a crossover would work. <sighs> Shut up.